your coach has to have that trust in you, understand that you're out there. He's watching from the side and kind of studying the game and getting a feel for the flow. But as a player, you're actually playing. I think the best coaches are the ones who empower their players, trust their players, and allow them to kind of communicate what they're feeling, what they're seeing, what they're doing. We have Tim Anderson calling into the pull of pod, Chicago White Sox shortstop. I always played baseball when I was younger. You know, I was always fast. You know, I was able to, you know, break the game down and, 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 and learn how to, you know, take ground balls and learn how to hit. And, uh, you know, I knew what kind of player I wanted to be. It's hard to argue when your team wins, and it's hard to argue when you have numbers and your team's winning. Based on the supporting cast, the run game, the defense he has, the receiving core, and offensive coordinator slash head coach comfort, um, I don't see why he won't have a very, very successful season. Welcome to the Taj Gibson episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 67. Currently back in New York, enjoying a great day. I think it's about 85 degrees right now, um, based on where I'm sitting from the eye test. Clouds are popping, boats are in the water. 60 floors up, the city looks amazing. Jordan is a little bit further than the city. You know, his view is probably more water-based, sand-based, uh, maybe a little cooling temperature out there in the Hamptons. Jordan, how's life in the Hamptons right now for you? It's great. It's great. And uh, I, I, I wanted to come back and see you in the city, but um, we'll, we're going to do that next week. And then I can tell you that it's going really well because uh, it's about it's, it's all about family and wake up early, get try to get some work done. And it's very, it's really good, man. I uh, can't wait to get you out here. Can't wait to uh, play some horse, you know. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I've still never been to the Hamptons 27 years in. I've, I've never been able to make it down there. And I feel like the time is coming. I feel like we may be able to get down there at some point uh, once wifey's schedule kind of eases up and uh, her patient flow is a little bit less drastic, you know, with those night classes. And having to do night clinic, it's it's taking a toll. So I don't want to yeah, force the action that in terms of scheduling. Yeah. Yeah, that is, is definitely a lot. But now that she's certified and has passed all three yeah, parts of the boards and the CDC. Certified. That is yeah, she's a big deal, man. That's, yeah, she's hyped. that's impressive. She's hyped. She worked hard for it. So as well-deserved, officially certified, just has to finish school now, and then she can be a practice in Dennis if she wants to be. Or string it out a little bit longer and do a residency. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But you know who didn't string it out a little bit longer? The Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, that, that, was a, good that, was a, that was a hell of a transition right there. The Oklahoma City Thunder have agreed to trade Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets for Chris Paul for first picks in 2024 and 2026 and pick swaps in 21 and 2025. You know this unless you live under a rock. The biggest question is, will they be able to coexist? It's obvious that Chris Paul and James Harden's relationship had deterred uh, or a lack of better terms, I feel like they, you know, needed some time apart. Uh, or maybe the Rockets were just looking for some change just based on the, the fact that they weren't able to kind of get over that hump. I think two seasons ago was their best chance to to get to the finals, and CP ended up going down with a hamstring injury. This last year, they had a golden opportunity of taking advantage of the Rockets and they ended up losing to a Kevin Durant-less team, similar to how we did, uh, dropping, what, four straight? Was it 2-2? And they ended up losing? Yeah, yeah. Two in a row. So yeah. it was an unfortunate ending for them and has led to them making some drastic changes in their offense. I think my biggest question mark uh, for you is 
it's obvious that they can play together because they have in the past. However, now that they both won MVPs, they both are 30-year-olds who are established in this league or 29-30. Russell's 31, I think James is 29. Will they be mature enough to share the load and not take it upon themselves to do too much is the first question. Second question is, how does D'Antoni adjust the offense, understanding that Russell Westbrook is a player who likes to play in the mid-range? He likes post-ups. He likes isolation situations around the logo area and, and elbow mid-post area. How does he tamper with the offense when there are three in key team? Yeah, so, you know, my first reaction to the trade was probably like everybody else, wow. And then when I really started to think about it, um, I was torn. On, on one hand, Houston's first priority this summer was to get Jimmy Butler. They were unable to do it. And, you know, it's a pretty good plan B to get Russell Westbrook. But to your point, CJ, when you have two guys that are that ball dominant, consistently two of the highest um, usage rates in the, in the league, you, you start to wonder how do they work. And what, what does this league put a premium on? Premium on? It's shooting. Um, and, and Russell has never been a, a knockdown three-point shooter. So for them to coexist, I think you hit it on the head. It's still your expression, Mr. McCollum, is there has to be a maturity there. James, I think James will see Westbrook as a peer, just as he saw Chris Paul as a peer. The difference for me is, from what I've been told, is that you know, Harden and Westbrook have a very good relationship, whereas Harden and Paul, I think they mostly just tolerated each other uh, at best. And so I, I wonder how that friendship will play in. I don't know if it's going to work, but I can tell you that I do give Houston credit for swinging for the fences, realizing that this is their window to try and win a championship with James Harden. They weren't going to do it with Chris Paul. Maybe it gives them an opportunity now. Yeah, I think based on what's happened in the past, James knew he wanted change and he knew that if he was going to play with anyone, he wanted it to be someone he was comfortable with, someone he trusted, someone he was friends with, someone he would be willing to defer to down the stretch of games. Um, and I think he's found that in Russ. And Russ being in a situation to where his team was potentially going to go through a massive rebuild, he knew he wanted to leave. He just wasn't sure where he wanted to go. I know Miami was on his list. Minnesota may have been on that list as well as the Houston Rockets targeting a market where, A, you're comfortable with the situation because you're playing with a friend, a guy you can empower, a guy you are comfortable with, you know, both being from California, both having played in Oklahoma City, and both who are still friends to this day. B, it's a competitive team who's in a position to potentially contend for not only a Western Conference title, but an NBA title and three which may be the icing on the cake you go from oklahoma city to houston bigger market is tax-free so you're going to save millions of dollars uh from an endorsement standpoint on not having to pay taxes state taxes on anything you make off the basketball court right so right. i think that's a, a great situation for him you know you look at the market and people don't really understand you know the, the tax emphasis that we go through you know, playing in certain cities, you're looking at 12% tax, 9% tax, 10% tax, or no state tax in Florida, uh, as well as Texas. And that makes a huge difference in your salary when you're talking about a guy who makes 40 plus million dollars a year um, and has to play 41 home games uh, in Houston, as opposed to in Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, their, their title odds shifted with Houston uh, from plus 1,200 to plus 800. So now they're fourth best in the league with Philly. Uh, the only teams ahead of them in terms of odds are the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks. Um, and, you know, basically 
just to reiterate, th- this is from Houston, basically. Uh, the Rockets telling me they are motivated to play together. Now, that all is fine, but I, I would wonder, CJ, what happens, you know, um, dog days of the season, February, when things maybe start to go awry, when maybe Houston loses a few games, or even earlier in the year, or in the playoffs, when you have the situation of we're down one, 30 seconds left, who are we going to go to? You know, I, I, is it as simple as I'm hot, you know, it's my turn? Because obviously you and Dame have this chemistry that has been built up over the last several years of you're comfortable with each other, deferring to one another, knowing who needs the ball when and where. I don't know if you just suddenly get that just because you're friends. Yeah, I think it's easy to do it when you're friends. It's easy to do it when you trust someone, and it's easy to do it when it's another elite player who is proven and of MVP caliber just as you are. For those two, it'll be tough at times. They'll have to make adjustments and get used to playing with each other. But Russ has played with Kevin Durant. He's played with James. He's played with Paul George most recently and Victor Oladipo. So he's used to playing with a guy who is very good, who's creative off the bounce, who can score, uh, who can demand a double team. So it won't be that different playing with James Harden because people forget James averaged six, seven assists a game, sometimes eight. He can distribute. He just likes to play with the ball a lot. He likes to play in isolation situations. But um, he is capable of passing. He's a willing passer. He, He enjoys making others better so I don't think it'll be much of a problem they'll probably defer to each other uh, too much in the beginning um, trying to figure out you know how they want to fit in with each other and I think it'll kind of smoothen out as the season progresses but in terms of late game scoring and and, and shot distribution they'll play it by ear make the right place Uh, when you get to the point where you just really want to win I think they're both at that point and have been at that point it's easier to defer it's easier to take less shots it's easier to take on the blame when things don't go uh, the team's way, and I think they're both at that point in their careers where it'll be it'll be all right. I think they'll be able to to get through it. There may be some bumps in the road, but nothing they can't smoothen out. What was the learning process for then for you and Dane? Like, was it a year or two years or a certain amount of games? Like, how did you get to the point where you were comfortable deferring to one another? Yeah, I think we were comfortable from the beginning. We just had to kind of figure out spacing. We had to figure out certain play calls that empowered each other, figure out like how to be on the opposite side of the court, figure out substitution patterns. Um, and then it just, the more you play with somebody, the more it becomes natural to where I don't have to communicate verbally. We can have uh, cues where it's eye contact, where I look at him and he understands what I'm thinking. That takes time, but it also happens when you watch film together. Like we sit by each other in the plane, so we're watching film together. We're studying certain sets. We're studying movement, how defenses are shifting towards us to where now if I point something out on film, the next day he remembers it. So we can revisit it on the court in practice. We can revisit it on the court um, and walk through. And then when the game starts, I look at him and he knows what I'm thinking because we just watched it on film. We just talked about it uh, before the game started. And now it's that, it's that nonverbal cue. It's kind of like being in a relationship with somebody. You know, you understand your partner more the longer you're with her. You know how to order for her. You know what she likes, what she doesn't like. And it's the same thing with a relationship on the court in the sense that the longer you're with somebody, naturally you figure out how to coexist. And that's what we've done. We figured out how, how to coexist, how to thrive. And now we have verbal and nonverbal cues and, and are able to execute. It's the same thing with the Warriors. Steph and Clay can talk about things, but sometimes right. it's a nonverbal cue. They look at each other and they know it's a back door or they know it's, you know, I, I, need to, I need a stagger screen coming this way or it's the look of I'm hot, come my way. And you just know right away. Like you, you sense the game, you sense what's happening and they won't start off 
on a on a clay step level in terms of communication, in terms of nonverbal communication, but it's definitely possible to get there. It just takes time. Is it so for you, and then also for Houston? Is it is it more you and Dame and less Terry, or what's the balance there? And then what do you think it would be between James and Russ along with D'Antoni? I think it's a combination of everything. So. Terry is comfortable with, we go to the huddle, he might put the onus on us, like who wants it? Or he might draw up a play for me and I say, give it to Dame, Dame is hot. Or he might draw up a play for Dame and Dame will say, go to CJ. He just hit three in a row, he just hit four in a row, or go to, put the ball in his hands. So we're comfortable with doing that and then coach is also comfortable with just taking the onus on himself and just, all right, who wants it? Or he just, all right, we're gonna go flat here or we're gonna go ball screen here. And in the end of the Denver game, I don't remember what he said, but he drew up a play, and I think it may have been a, a, a mid-pick row, and I said, nah, I don't want a ball screen flattened out. And your coach has to have that trust in you, understanding that you're out there. He's watching from the side and kind of studying the game and getting a feel for the flow. But as a player, you're actually playing. So our feelings, our thoughts are a little different because I didn't came off 20 ball screens at this point. It's the fourth quarter. I know how they guarded me when I go right. I know how they guarded me when I go left. I know how they guarded mids. I know how they guarded sides. So I understand like what's going to happen, maybe a little bit more than he does because I'm out there. So sometimes it's just your coach's trust level. And I think the best coaches are the ones who empower their players, trust their players, and allow them to kind of communicate what they're feeling, what they're seeing, what they're doing. And yeah. uh, I think that'll be the difference in their adjustment period because they'll see a lot of things that D'Antoni doesn't see because they're out there. And it's up to them to kind of relay that to him or it's up to D'Antoni to put the onus on them to say, hey, who wants the ball? And they both might say, yeah, but one might be like, nah, you're a little bit hotter than me or you got a more favorable matchup. And that's what right. it's about. It's about whatever it takes to win. Who cares who shoots it? I don't care if I shoot or if Dame shoots it or if Chief shoots it from the corner who's not long, no longer with us. It's about winning at all costs, any means necessary. And, and that's how you define greatness. That's how you define a team player. It's willing to take less or do less for the betterment of the team. So, like, against Denver with the pick and roll, you didn't want it because you felt like there were too many bodies and you didn't, you didn't, need, you didn't need an advantage. So that's you saying... Yeah, I didn't, need a, I didn't need a screen for an advantage. I could create my own advantage with space. And in the event that they wanted to send a double team, I would see it coming because I'm at the top of the key. So I can see both boxes and elbows. I can see where the defense is loaded at. And I understand how much time, how much space I have. When you get a pick and roll, it's more crowded. Bigger bodies are in the way at times. And it can be harder to make a a correct decision. So I, I rather just have space at certain times. At certain times, I want to pick and roll because I want to. I want to get that much more of an advantage with a, with a body in between us. I wonder then. Um, I think it's safe to say then that basically, with Terry and Mike, these are two veteran coaches that have been around a lot of players, a lot of stars. So it's on them and their ego to say, "I'm okay with James and Russ," or "I'm okay with Dame and CJ working it out." on their own, basically them knowing the situation better than anybody else. Exactly. You're exactly right. Once again, we have Tim Anderson calling into the pull of pod, Chicago White Sox shortstop here shortly. So stay locked in. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's about the coach. The coach gains that trust. He gains that understanding of the type of players he's around based on years of experience, based on uh, being battle tested together with them. And, and reminds you, it takes a very, secure coach 
to allow his players to call plays, to come in the huddle and say, what do you guys want to run here? Or to have to have a play call drawn up and have a player say, nah, let's not run that, let's run this coach in front of the whole team. Like a lot of coaches may not be able to handle that, but I think the best coaches can handle, you know, a player saying, nah, we should run this. Or he calls a play or he asks what you want and then you say, you know what? I don't like that. Let's run this. And then there's that that conversation that's back and forth between player and coach to where you get on the same page and everything works out. Sometimes coach will call a player, I'll say, look, give me the ball. And I might not score, but that's that relationship and understanding of I needed a touch. I hadn't had a touch in a while, um, but I was hot. Keep me, keep me involved in the game so I can keep my rhythm in the game. And I don't necessarily have to shoot it. By rhythm, I mean, let me get a touch. Let me come off and, and just, pat, I know they're trapping me. Let me come off and just hit the big so I get a touch. So that way, when I get a fast break or I get an isolation opportunity, I've been involved in the game. I've had a flow. I've touched the ball. And I feel more comfortable. So, CJ, it's about empowering players, about empowering you and Dame to make a shot or miss a shot, but essentially creating that trust between player and coaching staff that will then in turn pay dividends down the road. Right. It's all about that conversation, that trust, and understanding that, look, he's going to make the, the right decision. I don't make the right decision every time, but I try to. I try to make the right play. And I think that's the understanding yeah. and, and relationship you have to have. And the coach is just trying to put everybody in a position to make the right plays over and over again and taking advantage of matchups. But I think that our coach, what makes him special is that he allows us freedom, creative freedom, calling plays, calling matchups or, or pointing in certain situations out saying, like, look, let's get more away screens. Let's get more staggers. I want to be off ball or get Dame off ball. Get me on ball. Like, we were able to kind of have that conversation to where – we're not butting heads. It's, this is what I see out here. This is how I think I can be better. This is how I think our team can be better. This is how I think we can utilize Dame better. And that's what makes him a good coach. We might, we might go to his office and sit in there for 10, 15 minutes and just talk about plays that we need to run to get other player shots. How we can make the rotation better so that role players are more comfortable with their minutes, more comfortable when they get put in position to have to succeed. How do we do that? Those are conversations yeah. you have to have throughout the season to make things smooth in April make things more smooth in May because you know at some point a three-game, four-game skid could happen with this Western Conference. Yeah, and that's actually that's – why, that's why some coaches will, will experiment during the season. Like, I feel like smart veteran coaches will experiment during the season, um, whether it's with a play or with a substitution, playing an extra guy, not playing someone, basically to see what works, knowing that you might sacrifice something in the short term, but you're playing the long game to try and – maximize success when it really matters. Exactly. They're playing with lineups. They're playing players they, they may not normally play to see if they're ready, to give them a chance to kind of develop and gain that experience so that if they do have to use them in a big game, in a road game, in a hostile environment, in a playoff game, they feel more comfortable and the player feels more comfortable um, out there as well. More show in a minute, but first, let me tell you about Third Love Bras. Third Love offers a perfect fit by using data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Third Love also has more sizes than most other brands by offering more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. And you can skip the trip to the store by ordering online to find your perfect fit with Third Love's online Fit Finder. So you can order and try it on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. Over 12 million women have taken Third Love's Fit Finders quiz to date, and it takes less than a minute to complete. Did you know 
Breast shape matters when finding a good fit. Third Love helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to women in need. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they are offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash pullupnow to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash pullup for 15% off today. Okay, back to the show. TJ, so I don't know if you noticed this, but shifting topics a little bit back to the NFL, Baker Mayfield had some really interesting words to say about one Odell Beckham and the amazingly effective uh, Giants fans. And um, basically, Baker doesn't feel like Giants fans are legit. He says, this is uh, Baker on Odell. He's here to play in front of fans who actually care who will actually show up to every game and pack the stadium and love him for who he is. Now, what was your thought? You're the biggest Browns fan I know. What was your reaction? Uh, my reaction was I understand what he's saying because Browns fans are very passionate. Browns fans have supported our franchise through everything, through thick, through thin, through winning seasons, through losing seasons, and it's all made a difference. I think Giants fans are good fans. They're NFL fans who support their team, who support their franchise. I don't know exactly the type of support they get, but based on the numbers, I think they sell out and and have basically a 93, 94% attendance rate. Although they have a bigger stadium than the Cleveland Browns stadium, the Browns get 97%, you know, attendance. 97 and some change. So there's 3%, 4% difference in, in support, but which is close. But I know how passionate they are because I've tailgated at Brown Stadium. I've been at games. I've sat in the rain and watched us lose. I've sat in the rain and watched us win. And I understand the pulse of the city because I'm from Canton and I've been watching it my whole life. So maybe I'm biased, but the numbers also support me. Um, I think that he's just appreciated, wanted, and needed in Cleveland. And we're so thirsty for success uh, based on our previous debacles that Everyone's excited and, and willing to take on take on all parts of this franchise, uh, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I don't think there's any fan base in the NFL quite like the dog town. I really don't. And I haven't even been there. You've been there in the rain. Um, also, the we're going to talk NBA 2K ratings, but just quickly, NFL Madden ratings came out. Baker was not in the top 10. I thought he had a really good case to be in the top 10. I'll phrase it to you like this. After this season... Will Baker Mayfield be a legitimate top 10 quarterback that's inarguable for, for fans? I think you'll be able to argue that he's a top 10 quarterback after this season because he'll have team success. He'll have two years of numbers to back it up. And I think those are two things that are very hard to argue. It's hard to argue when your team wins, and it's hard to argue when you have numbers and your team's winning based on the supporting cast, the run game, the defense he has, the receiving core, and offensive coordinator slash head coach comfort. Um, I don't see why he won't have a very, very successful season. DJ, uh, NBA 2K ratings are out. They released the top 10 initially, and I was a little bit surprised. I didn't have too many problems with it. Uh, it is worth noting that um, two names we've talked about a lot on this podcast, Kemba and Kyrie, were not in the top 10. Um, Dame was in the top 10. What did you make about these, uh, these ratings, this, this original list? 
Uh, I mean, I think people t- read too much into it. Uh, it's a few people's opinions on your game. I think Dame hit it right on the head. A lot of people that probably make these ratings can't make free throws, can't hit a contested three. So why would you allow that to, to yeah. really swing your mood? Uh, I think it's 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 an honor to be able to be on a video game, to be able to play in the NBA and for people to get mad about ratings, I understand that we're all competitive by nature, but I mean, who cares? Like, who cares if you're a 92 versus an 87 or 86? Like, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, like my paycheck is not going to change based on 2K ratings. Like, I have a, I don't know what they got me as an 85 or whatever. Like, who cares? Like, who cares if they think that you're the 40th best player in the NBA and it's a somebody's opinion like my team values me the organization values me the fan base values me my teammates value me and what may be more important than all that i value me so i don't really care i don't even play 2k like yeah. that no more because i don't have time to play video games but i think it's funny how <laughs> people get so involved in the rating but at the end of the day i was one of four teams left last year so i gotta do my job to make sure that i'm one of two teams left next year and then one team left winning the championship it's funny we've talked about 2k before and you said the exact same thing but i there are certain players i won't name names that really get into this bad or good you know if a guy if it, let's say a player is overvalued he he probably knows it and he loves it and he's super excited about it if a player is undervalued it it hurts guys so i appreciate that you don't really put a lot into it um here's my professional transition this is like a really professional one you know who does care about being in the 90s? It's wineries. Uh, that was a bar. That was a bar. <laughs> Winer- See, it actually does impact their paychecks if a wine gets a 97 or a 99 or a 94. So, with that in mind, do the wine music, please. <laughs> you like that segment? That little transition? <laughs> DJ, I'm going to let you go first. Favorite wine of the week. Go. Favorite wine of the week. Uh, I can't remember what I said last week. I think I had a lower price point. So this week I'm going to go with a higher price point. Um, another one of the wines I had while I was in Mexico was a Cat Sab uh, from Camus Vineyards. It was a special selection of 2015 um, from Napa, obviously. And it was special. It had a great flavor profile. Obviously, it ranks uh, number one in the best wines over $80 right now. It ranks in the 1% of all wines in the world. And if you haven't tried it, you should, but it's very expensive uh, depending on what your price point is. Bold, more tannic than smooth, more dry than sweet, and a little bit higher on the acidity. Uh, There was a little bit of hints of vanilla, oak, a little berry, dark fruit, and surprisingly, coca. Coca, Coco, <laughs> Coca. I don't know who I've become, but the price point is about 180 bucks uh, online, depending on where you get it from. Uh, if you do eat at the restaurant, obviously there will be an upcharge. So uh, tread cautiously, but understand that it will be very solid. Drink this with someone you really care about. Wow, uh, that sounds great. So um, I went to Oregon for my Pinot of the week. I, I'm sure you have this, the Dundee. Have you heard this about this? The Dundee Pinot, Dundee Hills? Oh, yeah. I've definitely heard about Dundee It was Hills. a 2015. Very good. Very good. Uh, I got a 90. I would have given it a higher rating. Um, it was $30, which I thought was excellent um, value. And it's described as having a gentle touch of new oak, 
as well as a flavorful mix of strawberries, cherries, and oranges. So also lower alcohol, which I liked. It was really nice. Had two glasses and uh, loved it. So there you go. More show in a minute, but first, let me tell you about DoorDash. It's dinner time, but your stomach is rumbling and you still don't know what you're going to eat tonight. Sound familiar? With DoorDash, you don't need to get up from the couch to get a meal cooking. DoorDash connects you to all of your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat. And your Dasher will bring it right to you, wherever you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. My life has me traveling quite a bit. And I don't always have time to sit down at my favorite restaurants across the country. But luckily, DoorDash connects us with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities. And that's all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. So don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code PULLUP. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code PULLUP. Again, that's promo code PULLUP for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Okay, back to the show. All right, now my favorite part of the show, we want to welcome special guest, Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson, drafted in 2013, 17th pick out of East Central Community College. Tim, welcome to the Pull Up Pod, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are we doing? I appreciate you having me on. Uh, no problem at all, man. I see I see you guys got a game tomorrow. You're battling this uh, sprained ankle, but right now you're going through the rehab phase. and. For a lot of listeners out there, they're not really familiar with what it's like to be injured. I always say it's it's bad because you're hurt, but it's also worse because you do more work trying to recover uh, and get back than you actually have to do to prepare for games. So kind of walk us through your rehab phase right now as you go through uh, trying to get back from this sprained ankle. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a grind, man. You you get out there and, and you just, you know, working hard uh, for for so long, you know, trying to get back. Uh, but, you know, the rehab thing's been going good, man. You know, I think I'm ahead of schedule. So uh, I feel like I'm in a good a good spot, uh, you know, just taking a day at a time and, you know, making sure I'm 100% when I do come back. But, uh, you know, it make you appreciate the game a lot more, you know, watching on the outside, looking in, man. But, uh, you know, man, I'm excited and, and I'm ready to get back. That's that's good to hear. Your team right now is 42 and 49, third in the AL Central. Uh, you're having what some would consider a career year, batting 317 with 11 home runs, 37 RBIs, and 39 runs um, scored. How frustrating was it to to not make the All Star game this year? I know I know you are basically on MVP pace, and many would consider this to be a snub. I know what it's like to not make the All-Star game. I still haven't made it in, going into my seventh season. So kind of walk me through your feelings on that and if that kind of motivates you to perform at an even higher level as you get ready for the second half of the season. Yeah, uh, man, that, you know, we all know. We all know what was supposed to happen, uh, you know, but, you know, I just use it as motivation. They're going to they're gonna make me come back harder. And, uh, you know, man, I'm just excited. You know, I, I like proving people wrong. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep, you know, just try to keep balling, man, and keep having fun with it. And, uh, you know, I think it'll come, it'll come around, you know, but, you know, that's, that's, that's out of my control at the end of the day. So I don't think, you know, I'm going to get, you know, beat myself up about it. But, 
all I can do is just keep going out and, and keep having fun and, you know, just trying to keep, you know, create moments that, you know, people don't remember. Jim, I was really excited to have you on because not only are you a great baseball player, but you're a late bloomer to the sport. And as CJ and I have discussed last night, you are a former state champion point guard in basketball. So take us through your, your hoop career. What kind of what kind of player were you like? Were you like a slasher, a facilitator? And uh, I guess most importantly, would you get a bucket on CJ? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was more so like a floor general, man. I, I you know I made sure things. You know I I got the ball up and down the floor. You know I had a bunch of shooters and I had a couple of tall guys. So uh, you know, but I started shooting. You know late later later in the season. You know when we were going to the state championship because you know the report that I didn't shoot. So uh, you know that was my time to you know open up and shoot a lot more, and I did. Uh, but yeah, man, you know I enjoyed every moment of it, and uh, you know man, it was fun. You know I missed basketball. It was. You know, that, that's, I think that's where that, that, that high energy comes from that I play with on the baseball field. Did basketball help you then, you think, with baseball, especially considering you didn't pick up the sport until I think you are a junior or high school? Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely helped me. You know, just, you know, the reactions, man, everything's so quick. Where in baseball, you know, you, 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 you know, not sitting around, but you're kind of waiting until the ball comes to you. Where in basketball, you're always moving, playing defense or, you know, moving the ball around. So, yeah, I think it definitely helped me and, uh, you know, man, just going out there doing stuff that, you know, that these guys on the baseball field can't do. You know, uh, just being an athlete. And uh, I think that's how I separate myself. You were born in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You basically played basketball for the majority of your life. You didn't start playing baseball until your junior season of high school. How have you been able to kind of make that transformation from a guy who didn't start off playing baseball to being one of the best uh, shortstops, not only shortstops, but players in the MLB, you know, having – you know, three years, this will be your fourth year under your belt in the big leagues and, you know, coming off of a year where you signed a contract, what, you signed about two years ago, the six-year deal. How, how have you been able to make that transformation um, from just starting to pick up the game to being elite and one of the best? Yeah, uh, I always played baseball when I was younger. You know, I played coming up and I kind of stopped my freshman and sophomore year because uh, I broke both my legs playing basketball. And, uh, you know, average right in the NBA, I think, is 6'4". So uh, I was nowhere near that. So that's what made me kind of choose, you know, baseball because my speed play. Uh, I was always fast. But, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, break the game down and, 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 and learn how to, you know, take ground balls and learn how to hit. And, uh, you know, I knew what kind of player I wanted to be. Uh, I know what kind of level I wanted to play at. So uh, I think it was only up to me to, you know, put the work in. I never knew what, what it was going to lead to, you know, me making it to the major league. But. I just kept putting the work in, and, uh, you know, now we're here. You know, it, it's been a grind and, uh, you know, a crazy story, but, you know, I, I, I've been enjoying every every moment of it. And, uh, you know, just being the odds every day, man, that, that's what I try to do, just go out and have fun with it. Jim, is it true that you sent, because you didn't have a lot of tapes, that you were, you were having to send basketball tapes to major league scouts, basically to say, hey, this is the kind of athlete I am, because they didn't see, they hadn't seen a lot of you on the field? Yeah, man, you know, just, just trying to, you know, show them I can do more. And uh, I think I had recorded a video of me dunking. And, uh, you know, I sent it out. Uh, just, to, you know, just kind of show, you know, that, that, that I'm able to do different stuff and I'm an athlete. And, uh, you know, when we sent that video out, that video out man, I, I think that was kind of, you know, help me as far as, you know, get, get my name out a little bit more and, uh, you know, showing what kind of athlete I was. When did you realize, Tim, that you, you had a legitimate chance to be well, not only a first-round pick, but a legitimate chance to be a major league baseball player. Did you have a moment? Uh, yeah, man. I'm, I'm gonna say after my after my sophomore year, 
after that first game, man, I went. We played double hitters in junior college every game. So after that first game, I went like seven for eight. I had like three home runs, doubles, triples. You know, the ball was flying all over. It was crazy. Yeah. And then yeah. I, after that, you know, scout scouts started showing up, and uh, you know, man, it, it it went from there. And uh, you know, I finished I finished that season in like four ninety five with like ten homers and like forty some bags. And uh, I was able to go first round. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, I just kept putting the work in, you know, not knowing what it's going to turn into. I just kept grinding. I want to turn the page a little bit and, and talk about the sport of baseball in general. Looking at baseball and where it's at right now, with, with both of us being African-Americans, coming from the inner city, you know, coming from a place where it's not only considered boring where we come from, but I think the sport in general has a stigma to where it's considered boring. How has the, how, how has the sport kind of evolved in year four or five years in the major leagues? And what, what needs to happen for baseball to, to kind of lose that stigma of being boring? Oh uh, man, I think, I think they should allow players to have more fun, you know, like the bat flips and, uh, enjoying those moments, uh, just bring that high level and, and more so, um, you know, I just think about it as if I'm coming to the game as a fan, and I want to see something exciting. I want to see something that's gonna make you know make me want to come back. And um, I think just allowing you know players to be themselves. Um, you know, uh, with me, I am the only black guy on the south side, man. And uh, with, with, with the White Sox organization, man, they do a great job, and they allow me to you know go out and play and and, and be myself and be comfortable. Um, but that that didn't come, you know, as soon as I got to the big leagues, man, it took me a few years to, you know, kind of, you know, find myself and, and and get back to the player that I was in high school. And just more so, I think, just, you know, being comfortable. And um, I think I'm at, I think I'm there now as far as, you know, being comfortable and, and, and not really caring about what anybody else have to say about the way that I play. Because uh, at the end of the day, man, my goal is to, you know, go out and, and, and beat the other team ass and, and uh, you know, do it at a high level, and I think that I think that's where I'm at now. You, know, you said that um, there are times when you feel like you're, like you're Jackie Robinson, yeah. and that you want to help cultivate baseball on the south side. I know you've done a lot of camps in Chicago and also in Tuscaloosa. Um, what What are some of the questions that kids ask you about your experience playing Major League Baseball as an African American? Uh, Man, just it, more so, I think it's just you know how is it you know being that only black guy on the south side. Um, but man, I honestly, man, uh, you know, I I, I kind of you know enjoy <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, you know, man, we on the south side where where the community is black. Uh, I do a lot of stuff in the community with the youth, um, and a lot of those kids in the area. It's it's it kind of remind me of myself. You know, uh, you know, not always you know everything's not always green and and, and everything's not always good. So. Uh, I think just understanding that and, uh, you know, kind of being a role model and, and, and motivating and inspiring those kids that, that looks like me and I look like them, I think um, I think it's easier for them kids to look up to me. And so that's why I kind of, you know, go out and play hard and, uh, you know, and, and enjoy the moment and, and, and do those crazy things on the field because that's what, that's, what that's what those kids like. Yeah, you're definitely inspiring a lot of kids, not only kids, but people all across the world, you know, with your story and how you've been able to kind of rise you know, into stardom, you know, the things you're doing in the community, continue to give back. And before we, you know, get off the pod, make sure you shoot me your number, man. I'd love to help out and, um, you know, impact some of the kids in, in Chicago and help out with some of the things you're doing and engagements you're doing within the community. Uh, I'm, I'm really big on that stuff and pride myself on, on trying to, you know, give pig, give kids a, 
a, a hope and a dream, understand that there's a lot more out there than what they see. You know, coming from Canton, yeah. Ohio, I had never been to the West West Coast until I went to college. That was my first time ever going to the West Coast. So just right. being able to show kids that there's so much more out there and there's just so many more opportunities and jobs outside of just hitting a ball or shooting a ball or catching a ball. There's so much more out there for them. So I think that's that's dope what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Tim, you were criticized for your bat flip against the Royals. I know you were hit uh, with the fastball, your next plate appearance. There's kind of an unwritten rule with bat flips among certainly baseball's uh, older generation. But why is it so important for you to show that you're having fun? And the bat flip, uh, obviously, is an example of that. Uh, man, when, when that happened, uh, <clears throat> a lot of people didn't like that. Um, but that was a lot, of, a lot of guys that was before my time and a lot of guys that are out of uniform and uh, a lot of guys that, you know, that never played. Uh, but uh, I think it's important to show, man, you, you, you're playing a game that you're failing, you know, most of the time. And the times that you do succeed, they don't want you to, you know, enjoy those moments. And uh, for me, man, you know, uh, I think there's just a lot of pain showing and a, a lot of, you know, from from struggling, man. That's That's just that emotion that's coming out, man, you know. You know where you finally get to a point where you feel like you 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 breaking through, um, and man, I just you know and enjoy those moments, them excited moments, man, and and, and those moments that I want to remember and I want to you know people around me to remember. So I think that's why I play the way that I do. Uh, you know, uh, just excited and uh, basically just enjoying the moment. What what do you like most about baseball? I, I played growing up. Baseball was actually my best sport. Um, going into my freshman year of high school, my mom basically made me choose. She was tired of taking me to baseball practice, to track practice, to basketball practice, to AAU. And she was like, you got to focus on one sport. And I always have regrets about maybe I should have kept playing and played a little bit longer. But what do you like most about baseball? Because I definitely miss it. I miss being out there, man. And uh, I'm interested in seeing what the funnest part about being in the MLB is. Uh, man, you know, you, you're going out and playing in front of, you know, thousands of fans every night. And uh, you're playing a high level. Uh, you you rare uh, one of thirty starting at shortstop uh, uh, and, and, and different as far as in, in the culture wise. So uh, I stick out there as well. So uh, you know, man, just I think that you know I'm in a position to where I think people are, are recognize what's going on and see what's going on. And uh, you know, man, put on the show for these people. That's what they want to see. So uh, I just enjoy taking the field every every day, every night, and. Uh, like I said, trying to do something that 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 make these people remember me and uh, do it in my own little way. And uh, you know, I play the game at a high level and a lot of energy. So uh, just just basically trying to leave a mark on the game. And uh, you know, when you think of baseball as far as and the culture wise, I want them to think of think of me. How about how about off the field, Tim? Um, I love your fashion. I actually posed on Instagram um, to to Tim Anderson fans. What would you want us to ask Tim? And I was already going to ask you, but like I've gotten five or six responses asking. You have to ask Tim about his fashion. So, where where do you get your inspiration, and and what makes you enjoy it so much off the field? Man, I just put life in perspective. You know, man, you only live once, and uh, you know I try to get the most out of life. Um, so I just live every day like it's my last, and uh, you know I just enjoy it. I enjoy everything that's going on around me right now, and I enjoy all the positive things that are, that's happening. And uh, you know, even with the negative, man, I'm able to turn them turn them into positives. And 
man, but, you know, the road's been good, man. It, it's been number fun. Yeah, I'm looking at your Instagram right now. I see the swag, man. I see the I see the swag in full effect. A lot of a lot a lot of a lot of confidence, a lot of swag, man. And I I think that's how I, I got to separate myself, man. I just you know I step into the game. I'm like, man, how can I be different? What? How can I get you know my culture to watch baseball? If that takes you know putting putting trap music over over a couple of dope highlights, then that's what we did. And uh, I think that's what got their attention. Right. Is is there a significance behind the number seven? Uh, it's all it's always been my favorite number. You know, nothing, no no crazy meaning behind it. DJ, when you see Tim Swag, I think it it's a it's a call to action for you that you know maybe you need to adapt your fashion a little bit. <laughs> no, I think everybody got to be themselves, man. I think that's important. There's some stuff that guys do that I can't do. You know what I'm saying? There's some stuff that I do that guys wouldn't do. Everybody got their own lane. Right. Right, and I, I stay in my lane. I know what my lane is. I, I'm about 65 miles per hour. I ain't going 70, and I ain't going 55. <laughs> See, Tim, hey, Tim, what you don't know is that CJ and I have talked a lot about he's supposed to give me his, his, his suit guy and all the information, but he keeps ducking me, and the reason he doesn't want to give it to me is because he knows that I'll be a better version of his style. <laughs> I don't think I honestly I think I think that guys can wear the same thing, man. What are they gonna look the same? It's like when I go to my brother's wedding. My brother got married last week. Everybody wear the same tux, right? But everybody look different yeah. because of the swag, how you walk, how you carry yourself, man. So you can have the same suit on as me, and we still look like two different individuals because I'm gonna wear it differently. True, that's true. Yeah, Cam. What? Just curious. Um, since you love hoop, what do you what do you like most about CJ's game and the Blazers? Man, I think, man, I like him and him and Dane, man. They, they stories is, you know, I think it's kind of, <clears throat> you know, you come from 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 small schools and uh, you able to compete at a high level and uh, beat the odds and uh, you know you become a player that people that people didn't didn't think you could be and you get to a point to where you can just prove people wrong and uh, you know and, and enjoy the game and I think that's that's what I like you know about his game just as far as you just beating the odds man and, and uh, you know bro get buckets man <laughs> I appreciate it I appreciate it man what what are you <laughs> what are you looking forward to most about about this upcoming NBA season I know you're still in season but as a as a fan of sports like I love watching other seasons I know I know football is right around the corner so everybody got their college football team everybody got the NFL team I'm from Ohio so my Browns you know in 27 I'll be 28 this is the first time we're really excited about something other than the draft what are you most looking forward to in football season and in the NBA looking at all the players that have left teams, um, either via trade or free agency, it's going to be a wild year playing 2K yeah. and watching games on TV. Yeah, man, I'm just curious to see what the Bears are going to do. Uh, you know, last season was a good season. Uh, I think this season going to be exciting for them. And, uh, and as far as the NBA, man, I'm just, you know, glad to see how it's panning out as far as, you know, I think it's back to to one of those competing levels um, with, with all the crazy moves. But, uh like you said, it's gonna be crazy, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting back, I'm watching, I'm ready. Yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see how teams mesh. You look at the Clippers, you look at the Lakers, um, you look at us. We lose seven, eight players. There's so much change going around. You know, Utah Jazz, the top of the West, the middle of the West is gonna be very competitive. And I think based on the predictions right now by Vegas and a lot of different odds makers, is that there only be two teams or two and a half, three teams under 500. The the rest of the West will be at 41 wins or more. So look for a, a lot more competitive games every night. 
Yeah, that's, and I think that's what's going to make it fun because, you know, it's back to competing hard and playing hard. Looking at the baseball schedule, so I, I've I've seen uh, the schedule for a lot of baseball players. You guys play over 100 games. You know, some sometimes you have two games in a day. How do you structure your recovery, your sleep cycle? How do you get your mind mentally locked in to play that many games? I know I play 82 in seven, eight months plus preseason, so give or take playoffs. We're looking at 100 games, but the, the casual fan doesn't understand, like, there's some days where your body doesn't really want to go run around and, and, and play your sport, but you have to mentally kind of lock in. How do you get your mind ready for that many games, and how do you kind of prepare in the offseason for that? Uh, man, I just, man, the way, that I, the way that I grind, man, and the way, you know, the type of player that I know that I want to be, I think that's what motivates me. Uh, I listen to a lot of music, man, that, 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 that keeps me going. Um, and, man, like I said, man, you're going out and, and, and playing in front of these fans every night. And, uh, you know, the opposing team never know how how I feel. <laughs> they just see that number line. So, uh, you know, they're they, 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 they they're afraid. Uh, but even on the bad days, you know, they're still afraid because they don't know how I feel. So uh, it's just, I think, just having that com- competitive, you know, in my mind and, uh, you know, going out and playing the way that I do. Um I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna respect the game as as well as how how I do. That's a good line, man. Even on the bad day, they're afraid because they don't know how you feel. That's that's true. Can't never let them see you, see you yeah. weak or see you lacking. Yeah, nobody know how I feel. Right. You brought up you brought up music. You said that you like to listen to music. I think that's a, a big part of our culture and a big part of sport in general in terms of motivation, in terms of swinging your mood. What type of music are you listening to right now? And, and who are your favorite artists? Give me like your top five, top ten right now artists you're listening to in your rotation. Little baby, little baby off top. That's 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 probably my my, my favorite. Um, then you go to you got Future Man, you got the Gunners, you got uh, Polo G, uh, uh, the Migos, man. Just a lot of you know. I listen a lot because I'm from down south, so a lot of I'm, I listen to a lot of Atlanta music a lot. Uh, but yeah, man, I think you know. I think that stuff's relatable. Uh, it, it, it's relatable and close to you know, kind of the things that I go through. And I think that's kind of why music is my outlet. They keep me keep me going and keep me motivated and focused. CJ, what about you? Who do you listen to before games or when you want to maybe a, a little you know calmer vibe? Like wh- what do you what do you turn to? Man, I'm a mixed bag. So sometimes I'm listening to trap music. It depends on my my mood. I'll mix it up, man. Sometimes I need some some slow jams to kind of relax my nerves because it's it's so much emotion that goes into preparing for a game. Like, we play a lot of games at night. So you get used to shoot around, taking your pregame nap, and then you got to kind of get your body, you know, awake, kind of awaken your body, and then get your body back up by 7, 7.30. So, I mean, looking at, looking at some of the playlists, I mean, some days it's Drake. I love J. Cole. J. Cole, one of my favorite rappers. So I'm always listening to Cole. You know, at some point that's in rotation. Meek, I uh, got a lot of stuff I listen to. But then um, I'm, an old, I'm an old head, man. So I'm listening to the Gap Band. Man, I'm listening to Common. I'm listening to Alicia Keys. Like, I, I mix it up. And some of those, some of those, slow, those slow rhythm rhythm beats, like, that kind of, like, relaxes my nerves when I'm, when I'm getting ready for a game. But you can't go wrong with, with some future or some trap. Like, that always gets you ready. So, like, if you're in a bad mood or you come, yeah. you're too calm. See, see me, I'm always, I'm always trying to be turned up. Right, so you got to get your – see, your, your sport is more – like, the ball got to get hit to you uh, at shortstop. Yeah, it's more it's more yeah, it's more relaxing. It's more relaxing and and and, and boring, honestly. So you gotta do something that's gonna you know, 
they gonna get you going. Right, so you gotta you gotta speed yourself up. I gotta sometimes I gotta slow myself down because I'd be too hyped. Yeah, and I'm in, <laughs> I can be involved in every possession depending on who we play. So I gotta like, man, chill out, see, yeah. like relax, <laughs> calm down. Yeah, I was gonna say, Tim, how about like I, I've read that you you're obviously very close to your family. You, you're you're married with with two beautiful daughters. What 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 kind of perspective has having girls given you? Um, and what is it like for you? whether it's a good game or a bad game or in, anywhere in between to come home and, and have your, your family there to love you unconditionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think they really help me uh, a lot when I do take the field. Uh, and I, I think to just keep it short is, uh, you know, man, my family got to eat. Um, and so that's why I go out and play the way that I do. Uh, and, you know, even not so, you know, not so good nights and, uh, you know, even the good nights, man, uh, you know, my family's always there. Uh, you know, I go home to my daughter regardless of what happened at the ballpark. I think that helps me separate, you know, that, that time and, 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 and whatever just happened at the field, I'm able to flush it and leave it there. And because uh, when I step outside that locker room, man, my, my daughter, man, she she could care less about what just happened on the field. You know, she just she just see her dad. And I think that that helps me a lot, uh, you know, being able to separate my game and, and as far as, you know, being a, being a father and a husband. I don't know what it's like to be a, a parent yet, but Dame, I'm really close with him and, and seeing how his son has impacted his life. You talk about a better sense of calm, a better sense of composure and control. Not that he didn't have before, but he just seemed more at ease with, with everything that's going on. Do you think that that's had the same fact yeah. in your life in terms of like being, like you said, being able to flush everything, your priorities have yeah. kind of shifted to where the game literally is just a game yeah. and you go home and be dad and, and, and that's, and that's yeah. made a better impact on your life than anything has. Yeah, that's spot on. That's spot on. Uh, I don't think I don't think I worry about you know what I did uh, on the field once I get outside that locker room. Uh, and yeah, man, you just a kid, man. You 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 forget about everything that happens when you do you know get around them, and that that really helped me, man. Because I I like to be out of the game when I'm when I'm when I'm away from baseball. I like to be out of it. Like in the off season, I don't I don't really talk about baseball uh, or anything. So. I just like to do. I like to do different stuff to get away from the game. Has has having a family been Tim? Is it would it be safe to say that it, it almost takes pressure off of you, knowing that you have that support system at home, regardless of what happens? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, being able to you know sign a contract and and and, and uh, you know making sure your family straight that definitely takes a lot of pressure off you. Um, they played a huge role until you know why I signed the early deal because uh, I wanted to make sure they were straight. Uh, but yeah, man, you know they they definitely they definitely keep me motivated uh, to try to keep getting better every day, uh, and 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 they make me better as just a human being, man. Just being around them and uh, you know make you put life in perspective. Uh, but yeah, man, I just been you know I enjoy every every step of it, uh, being a father and being a husband. Yeah, that's dope, man. I don't I don't have any more questions. My only follow up is, well, before we get off here, um, I'm a, I'm gonna DM you my number so you got my information. And if you want to go to any games, anything like that, especially when we're in Chicago, uh, just hit me and I got you. But I want to help out with some of the stuff you're doing in the community for sure, man. And I appreciate you uh, calling into the pull up pod. And if you're a wine fan or anything like that, uh, I would love to send you some wine too. Man, I drink a lot of wine during the season to help relax my nerves, and that's my off season drink of choice. For sure, appreciate that. Tim, thank you, my man, and uh, can't wait to see you back on the field. I appreciate you guys having me. No problem, man. Take it easy, man. Get healthy. 
Thanks again to Tim Anderson for calling in. I hope he gets better. I hope that ankle heals up and uh, he's back up and running, literally and figuratively. I appreciate all our listeners tuning in to the Pull Up Pod as always. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to Pull Up! up.